Brothers, Roland Martin here. We're broadcasting live from Lisbon City, uh, North Carolina, where uh, there's going to be a massive march tomorrow taking place uh, in this city. Uh, and the whole focus is going to be on Andrew Brown Jr. Uh, we are here, folks, uh, right now. Uh, I don't know if you can see it. This is a shot of the courthouse right here. Uh, where, okay, so we're going to show you in a second uh, where we are here uh, covering this particular story. And, folks, what has been going on is, is unbelievable. Andrew Brown Jr. was shot and killed on April 21st. Uh, a number of officers uh, descended upon uh, descended upon uh, his um, uh, home, shooting and killing him. But here's the problem. They have yet to actually release the body camera footage to show exactly what took place. Now, here's what's been going on. A little bit earlier, folks, we had some protesters uh, who were out here. They have been protesting every single day in Elizabeth City, including a 72-year-old black woman. Every single day, uh, she has been uh, out here protesting. Now, uh, we're going to try to get our drone footage uh, to show you in a bit, little bit, folks, because what's been happening is uh, they actually uh, went uh, down uh, the uh, main street here. Probably was a group of about uh, 10 or 15 protesters, but every single day, every single day, they have been protesting here in Elizabeth City, demanding justice for Andrew Brown Jr. New developments today. Remember, we told you uh, it was about 10 or 11 days ago when the judge ruled that the family will be allowed to see some of the body camera footage uh, that took place uh, for his death. Now, here's the problem. He ruled at the family that they had 10 days before they could actually see the video. Our understanding and talking with the family's attorneys is the clock started that day. No, not the case. The judge, he's decided he is going to determine how much they will see. He ruled today in a written ruling that the family can only see 20 minutes of the two hours of body camera footage. When does the clock start? It actually starts today. So we were told they were going to see that footage between that ruling, and it should have happened by today when that clock started. No, it actually starts today. Uh, and so this is one of the things that people have been saying in Elizabeth City. There's a problem when it comes to justice, uh, the, 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 the real lack of clarity and understanding. Uh, and folks have been uh, just really upset by it. That's why Reverend Dr. William J. Barber and clergy from all across North Carolina are going to be traveling here and they're going to be holding a march and rally. It's going to actually end up, it's going to end up here where the rally is going to actually take place. The rally is going to take place here. And so we're going to be covering this, of course, tomorrow, live streaming it. It's going to be at 11 a.m. Eastern tomorrow here in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. So we'll be covering the march as a march from a location here to the courthouse where they're going to be assembling, uh, demanding justice in this case, demanding transparency. I want to go live to my panel uh, who is uh, with us today. Uh, please bring up Michael Imhotep, host of the African History Network show, Candace Kelly, legal analyst. Uh, start your morning with BNC, Brittany Lee Lewis, political analyst. I want to start with you, Candace. Uh, this is crazy that that the judge waited the last 10 days. <laughs> the family kept saying, well, they wait for the ruling. He decides to release a written ruling today when 10 days ago he said the family had 10 days to see the video. Then he says, oh, the clock starts today after he's determined they can only see 20 minutes of the two hours. And, you know, Roland, this, it doesn't make any sense. The reason why is because, one, 
they should be able to see that video because that is what they were promised. How many times are they going to, is this judge going to make changes over and over again? Um, number two, what we have is a family that's been waiting in the best interest of justice. They should, they should find out what it is they are going to go up against. This is something that people have been dealing with for, I hear something in my ear, by the way. This is something that people have been dealing with for such a long time, and this is why people are taking to the streets. It also leads to this whole notion that, hey, I don't want this video to be released because it may affect juries and their impartiality, but it didn't stop them from releasing information about Brown and his history, his record. So all of these things have to be taken into consideration. So this is why it's important for people to march. This is not obviously in the best interest of justice, and something has to be done. It hasn't happened before like this, but now has to. we have to wonder, what are they trying to hide? What are they trying to hide? Well, and that, that's the thing that jumps out here, Brittany, that, that, that people don't understand. And, you know, the judge, the judge, had, the judge had this particular uh, decision uh, 10 days ago. People were like, what's going on? And now he does a written ruling that lays out new instructions? Roland, this is ridiculous. Quite frankly, we know this is a cover-up, and, and, and time will show exactly what it is that they are trying to cover up. And I'm so glad we're on the streets, and we're going to continue to be on the streets until justice is served, because I'm so tired of this criminal justice system. I know we all are. Michael. Uh, you know, Roland, this is some more of the runaround, and it definitely sounds like a cover-up. And reading the reporting from NBC News, the, the family is going to be allowed to view less than 20 minutes of the nearly two hours of video that was recorded. So the, the judge could have stipulated 10 days ago exactly what he's saying today. OK. And, you know, the, the other thing is, I guarantee you, if it was something exculpatory in the video, if it was something that. Uh, Andrew Brown did to the officers that justified them killing him if that was on video that would have already been released so the fact that they keep trying to delay the releasing of the video or, 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 or allowing the family to see it I should say not releasing the video but the, well one the fact that they don't want to release the video two the fact that they keep delaying the family to be able to see uh, the video more than 20 seconds tells you how damaging it is so you know, um, and, and see, this is um, another thing, man. This is like um, a, a kind of like a small town. Well, Elizabeth City is a small town, but the you, you have a judge and it's like a small town. And uh, I, I think when all this went down with the officers killing him, I think they just thought that you, they could just sweep this under the rug and this was not going to blow up like it did. Hmm. And again, first of all, uh, Elizabeth City is 17,000 people, uh, but the county, that's actually uh, where, where this was impacted. The sheriff's office, uh, that's who actually uh, led this particular uh, charge. And we were here last time, and what folks told us here is that what you, the dynamic here is that you have uh, Elizabeth City, African-American leadership, mostly black police force. The county, white leadership, white police force. Those are the dynamics that you have here. Uh, and so it's just, it's just very strange uh, that what is going on here. And the other thing, Candace, this is why uh, the family has called for the state, state to take over. The problem, though, is that Andrew Womble, the district attorney, he has to recuse himself and ask the state attorney general to take over. And there are multiple investigations going. The Bureau, the, bureau, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the state bureau, 
they're actually investigating this. Okay, they're investigating it. The DA has an investigation, and so the family doesn't even understand who is the lead agency when it comes to this investigation. They don't trust this district attorney, and so you have all of this that's going on uh, here in Elizabeth City, and people are saying they need justice, they are demanding justice, they're demanding transparency. And you know, Roland, you've mentioned something that's very important. When things get this sticky, when there's so many moving parts, things generally go to the attorney general so that they can sort them out. There's a reason why this is happening or isn't happening, and we don't know why. You know, it also begs the question that when you release the video to the family, all right, all you're doing is releasing it to the family. Why can't they see it? Um, even if they come back and describe the video, you're not releasing the video to the public. So if in order for them to prepare for their case, in order for them to figure out what they're going to be suing for and begin the process of justice, why won't they give it to them for that reason alone? It's part of the case. It's part of their right to have a fair trial. It's part of their First Amendment to actually go out and talk about what they see. But like you said, when things get murky like this, it goes to the attorney general. Why they have not done it, we don't know. But suffice it to say that there's something going on here by omission. The fact that they do not want this to be shown to anybody is a major problem. And once we all see it, we are probably going to see immediately what the issue is. They know it. They just don't want us to know it. And Brittany, there is no doubt. There is no doubt at all that if this video uh, was damaging to Andrew Brown Jr., that video would have been out. Exactly, Roland. I mean, that's a key point here. We know that when they feel like a killing is quote-unquote justified, that they have video footage of it everywhere playing on loop. They're describing Andrew Brown's character um, in a negative light. We'll do everything that they possibly can to substantiate um, their decision to end someone's life. So the simple fact that not only is this extremely murky, um, but the fact that they're omitting the information and not even, you know, not even providing the family um, the full video, it just, it doesn't make any sense. It looks bad. Um, and I have a funny feeling that once that video is released or we get some insight into what actually happened um we're gonna see that obviously this person's they took his life without with, without reason absolutely uh henry you can go to this drone shot uh you will see the protesters uh they have returned here uh they returned back to the location here uh and again it's about it's about eight or ten of them uh they have been uh moving up and down uh, the streets in elizabeth city They've been doing this since April 21st. Since April 21st, uh, they have been they have been doing that. And so, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to just give you a sense of uh, again of, uh, of where they are. And so, uh, folks have been here uh, again protesting in this city. Uh, they have been uh, doing this on a consistent basis, uh, demanding justice, demanding justice in the death of Andrew Brown Jr. Uh, it has not actually happened uh, thus far, and so um, you know. And so tomorrow, uh, you're going to see a heck of a lot more people, or who are going to be here uh, in Elizabeth City uh, tomorrow for the protest uh, taking place here. Uh, again, Reverend Dr. William J. Barber of the North Carolina State Conference of the NAACP, uh, and so many others. Uh, they are going to be uh, here. They are going to be. Uh, all across uh, this city, uh, if you saw the list of pastors, uh, it is a it is a massive list uh, of pastors uh, who uh, will be here uh, in Elizabeth City, uh, leading this particular uh, uh, 
protest and rally because they say enough has not been done in this particular case uh, in terms of enough transparency. Uh, the problem, as we have described for you, is that everything is in the hands of the, the DA and the sheriff's office. The interesting part here is that the sheriff has been far more forthcoming in this case than the district attorney. The DA also, remember, he announced that he is also running for Superior Court judge. That has been going on as well. And so uh, it has been uh, it has been uh, very strange, if you will, uh, the various circumstances here. Uh, and folks uh, certainly want uh, that justice. As I said, tomorrow we're going to be live streaming uh, the, the rally. Uh, that will be that will be taking place uh, beginning at 11 a.m. And so we're going to be here tomorrow uh, live with that. Uh, we'll be streaming Roland? that across our Roland Martin filter platforms. Yes. Yeah, you know, there's one thing I also want to point out is that this is the time where everybody behind the scenes is getting their story together. They are biding time because they don't want this to end up like another Derek Chauvin. Now we've got precedent, right? We've got precedent. People are steamrolling ahead. There's too much at stake. As you said, there's a superior court position that is at stake. There are people's lives that are at stake. Their freedom is at stake if they don't get this right, if you will, in terms of what it is they all need to be on the same page about. And that's another reason why this stalling tactic is going on the way it is. There's no other reason besides that, in addition to the point that certainly there's probably something on the tape that, that does not vindicate them, but they have to get their stories together. They do not want another Chauvin. They do not want state and federal charges and huge lawsuits because this could crumble their town, right? You know, certainly they have insurance, but this is a lot of money that we're talking about for precedent cases. They want to get it right on their side. Uh, and as you see, again, this is uh, our drone footage. Uh, the marchers uh, are now moving towards another uh, section of town. Uh, as I said, uh, we were here uh, a couple of weeks ago. This has been happening every single day in Elizabeth City without fail since April 21st. Uh, they have been taken to the streets. They've been taken to the streets uh, to keep the awareness up. Uh, you've had uh, you've had this, of course, it's uh, after 6 p.m. You've had some other protests that have been going on that have been taking place uh, at night uh, here in Elizabeth City. Uh, and so last time we were here, we covered uh, one of those particular protests uh, that took place uh, at night. Uh, and so... You know, they have been, you know, look, give it to the people here. They have not been silent. They have not been uh, just sort of ignoring what's been going on. Uh, they have been, you know, letting their voices uh, be heard uh, every single uh, day. Uh, and, and, and look, this is, as Candace said, Michael, this is what you have to have. You have to have uh, this sort of constant pressure because what the county wants to do, they really want folks to sort of act like, Nothing is going on that, you know, is business as usual. And so the pressure, uh, this is all about pressure. And that's why the march is taking place tomorrow, Michael. The sustained pressure, the constant attention, that's what they want to have happen here in Elizabeth City. You, you, you have to keep that momentum going. You have to keep the pressure going. You have to keep uh, especially the focus of uh, African-American media on what's going on uh, here and, and following the updates. You need African-American media on the ground also being able to interview the people, being able to find out what's going on. You know, this is, this, this is journalism, okay? So 
uh, you have to keep the pressure up. And, and one thing that, and I know you, I know people are probably on it, but when you have situations like this, when you have people coming in, especially African-Americans coming in from out of town to lend assistance, we also want to make sure that we redirect dollars to African-American-owned businesses, hotels, restaurants. I know you're already on it, Roland, but just for people across the country, when things like this happen, we also want to make sure, in addition to keeping the pressure up, when we go into these cities, we want to redirect dollars to African-American-owned businesses. I say, you know, I say at the um, at the end of your march, at the end of the protest, march yourself down to black-owned businesses and buy them out. Well, absolutely, and that's one of the things that uh, people have emphasized uh, here as well. And so this is a live look right here, folks, uh, of, again, of a handful of protesters here in Elizabeth City uh, as they uh, um, uh, continue uh, to keep the focus uh, on justice for Andrew Brown Jr. Uh, he was shot and killed uh, April 21st. His funeral took place uh, uh, on Monday. Funeral was on Monday. As I say at the top, folks, the family, they have yet to see the body cam footage. They've yet to see that footage uh, of, his, um, of, of his death. Uh, the judge ruled today, a written ruling today, that the family will be able to see only a maximum of 20 minutes out of two hours of video. And he also ruled that the clock begins today. They must see it in a in a 10-day period. And so uh, that's what the decision that came down today. And that's the breaking news uh, that we have here uh, in uh, North Carolina. As I said, tomorrow, 11 a.m., we're going to be covering uh, this rally taking place uh, led by Reverend Dr. William J. Barber, the North Carolina State Conference, the NAACP, uh, and clergy from all across uh, this state. They'll be descending on Elizabeth City. Uh, the rally will take place uh, elsewhere, but the rally is going to end up right here uh, at the county courthouse. And so we will be live tomorrow uh, covering that uh, in its entirety at the beginning uh, at 11 a.m. And so y'all want to definitely, uh, of course, uh, watch that. And, you know, this is why uh, we ask you to support what we do. Uh, because, uh, again, the ability for us to be able to be here to cover these events is critically important. And, of course, May 13th, next Thursday, we're going to be uh, in Baytown, Texas, uh, covering a rally there of a black woman, the first anniversary of her murder. that She was shot and killed by a Baytown police officer uh, and bringing attention uh, to that. Got to go to a break. We come back. We'll talk about the four cops who killed George Floyd. Indicted on federal civil rights charges. You're watching Roland Martin on the filter, okay. broadcasting live from Elizabeth City, North Carolina. Back in a moment. This is the year of the woman. We are here. We are capable. My optimism for our future has never been greater than now. Black women are making a difference, making history, and changing the world. Yo, what's up? This your boy Ice Cube. What's up? I'm Lance Gross, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. <laughs> All right, folks, there's another story that, man, you talk about was shocking and stunning uh, of a, a black man in Mississippi uh, who was killed by cops. Fifty one shots were fired into his vehicle. But the police officers also killed a three month baby 
boy. Talk about shocking and stunning. Uh, the suspect, uh, after suspecting that he killed his ex-girlfriend, officers pursued Eric Darrell Smith, which was the child's mother, and her nephew. The cops, knowing the baby was in the car, at least 50 police vehicles, chased Smith for about two and a half hours from Baton Rouge Parish to Biloxi. When Smith fired shots at officers, they fired back into his car. He was shot multiple times at the scene. The baby was shot once and died at the hospital. Not sure if what we have there uh, has the audio on it. If you actually, uh, do y'all have audio on that video? All right. So, so what, what I want folks to do is I want y'all to go back to, to the beginning. Uh, attorney Ben Crump uh, had a video that was posted on his Twitter page, Instagram page of someone who, who actually recorded the shooting. And you can hear them yelling at, hear, no, listen to this, listen to this, folks. Hospital, Michael. I, I want to start with you. Um, here's what I look. Here's what I don't understand. I get it. He's firing at police officers, but if you're police officers, don't you take into account there's a baby that's in the car, and you should be judicious with firing into the car. Uh, I, I think you would, and I, I, I think in a situation like this. Well, they maybe on the next show or something like that, you, you um, talk to a panel of police officers who have experience in possibly situations like this. But uh, in reading this story, you know, the police also deployed stop sticks as well. Uh, but Smith reportedly drove around them at one point. So you, you, you see this you see this shootout take place. And it was about 50 police cars uh, oh. from my understanding. Is about 50 police cars, from my understanding, that were following him. The, the chase goes for about two and a half hours. So you would think, you would think they would take into the uh, take into account that it's a baby in the car. Um, I, I would really like to see how officers handle the situation when it's a white suspect with a white child in the car. I, I really want to see how they handle a situation uh, like this. But this is this is really a tragedy um, a, a, a number of different, on a number, for a number of different reasons. This is really a tragedy. Uh, Brittany, um, we, the other day, we broke down the video of the police officer uh, who shot and killed Rayshard Brooks. And we talked about what happens when an officer's life is being threatened. Clearly, this man firing at police officers posed a threat but what action should police take knowing full well if there's a baby in the car and you're firing that many shots into a vehicle is that smart policing or is it one of those things that it's it, it unfortunately it happens your thoughts on this 
Roland, there's, there's, there's really no excuse. At the end of the day, if they knew the baby was inside of the vehicle, why in the world would they shoot 20 rounds into the vehicle, even if they are being shot at? I'll ask the same question that I always do when this happens, because it often does with us. Why are officers able to apprehend violent white mass shooters, people attacking them, people shooting at them without even a scratch? But when it comes to our community, everyone and everything is just collateral damage. It doesn't make any sense to me. And I don't know if there's really enough training in the world for them to consider and value black life. I'm really tired of their inability to apprehend suspects without taking a life. And this story is even worse because we're talking about a small, innocent child. That life shouldn't have been taken. Candace, look, um... This is one of those things where, again, uh, two and a half hour police chase, he's firing uh, weapons, he's firing bullets at the cops. There's a baby that's in the car. They know there's a baby that's in the car. I'm wondering if they could have made a decision to drive until his gas ran out. Number two, um, you know, just keep on him. And, well, they did push him off the road, but, you know, push him in a way that didn't cause him to get into an accident corner him in a way that uh, he would be surrounded by 50 cars and see that it's 50 against one. Certainly they would have been shot at, but they could have taken aim maybe at the tires of the car in order to debilitate it. In other words, a lot of tactics that they could have used to prevent this from happening. At this point, you could have had police officers come from the other way and go opposite to what they were doing to surround him completely. This wasn't just a split-second decision. Two and a half hours, they were talking. They were deciding. They were masterminding what it is they were going to do. And out of all of this, they decided that the end result would just to be firing 20 rounds. I think there's the problem. Police officers often talk about split-second decisions. But this is totally different than a split-second decision. This is a split two-and-a-half-hour decision, and they were unable to uh, have a different outcome than have a, a little baby die. And that's unworkable because of the time that they had leading up to this game result. Hmm. Let's talk about this shooting that took place in Georgia, folks. Uh, a black woman was visiting uh, a cousin. She is now dead when cops uh, executed uh, a search warrant. Uh, a black, again, uh, she was visiting her cousin. The Georgia, Georgia Bureau of Investigation, they released the body cam footage of Tuesday's incident. Again, folks, I want to warn you right now, this could be a trigger warning to some people. So I want to give you the opportunity to turn away, if you would like, before we actually show uh, this video. So just give it, give it a beat. Uh, Henry, go ahead and play it.
Toya James, 37 years old, was killed. Her 46-year-old uh, cousin, Rashawn Brown, was hospitalized with at least four gunshot wounds. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation say they are investigating. Uh, this was an exchange of fire between law enforcement and occupants of the home. This is the 27th deadly shooting by cops in Georgia this year. What do you have to say about that, Brittany? This is, uh, you know, it is, uh, we, I, we get the executing of a search warrant, uh, but uh, we don't know exactly. Again, they say that it was shooting by occupants of the home. We do not know uh, if she was firing back at officers. We don't know if she was simply caught up in the gunfire, but the reality is she's dead. Her cousin is wounded. Roland, honestly, what, what, what is there to say at this point? I mean, like you said, this is the 27th deadly shooting by police in Georgia this year. Again, it is as if we are simply collateral damage. Um, you can't train people into viewing us as human. You know, that could be any of us going to visit our cousin who could have lost our lives because police have failed to, you know, execute a warrant without taking someone's life. Um, it's unfortunate and it doesn't make any sense. Candace, um, for, from a legal standpoint, what exactly uh, can be done? Uh, you know, how, how you have officers trying to execute a warrant, but uh, I mean, look, you want to minimize uh, losses. And, and I say this all the time, and, and, and it's real. Death is death. It's finality. That's it. Her life is over. Right. There's no turning back. Well, you know, when you have a no-knock warrant, you have to go through specific measured steps in terms of talking to people who are involved, talking uh, to the judge, talking to the police officers so that they can say specifically, this is the warrant that we need you to okay, judge. And therein lies the problem. Number one, you don't know anything about who's in the house. 
based upon the warrant that you got a day or two before. You might have surprise visitors. You might have a whole family that's at the house that the police officers didn't know about. And if you take a look at that video, how dark was that video? How could they even see anything? You know, when we look at what they did in Louisville, Kentucky, and they banned no-knock warrants, that was for a very good reason. Number one, you don't have warrants that you execute at night. You can't see anything. You don't know who's there. Number two, if you are waking up in the middle of your house by someone who barges in your home, you are going to have a natural reaction to fight back. And if you have a gun, whether it's legal or whether it's illegal, you're going to use that gun and there's going to be a problem and people can die in the crossfire, but nothing to do with what you were originally involved in. And finally, this is a, you know, a lower level misdemeanor, probably drug crime or offense. No one was kidnapped. There was not a bunch of children in the basement that were molested. You know, he didn't have a, a harem of women that were, you know, we're talking about drugs, right? We're talking about the war on drugs that's been going on for decades. There is no need to have this type of warrant with such vigor and aggressiveness uh, attached to this type of, of a drug charge. I mean, they're making drugs, you know, legal. Uh, in states across the country. This, this is not something that rises to the occasion where people need to come into your house in the middle of the night and then not expect some type of an exchange. That would be inhuman, not human at all, to think that someone on the other side wouldn't act in a way that they did if they potentially were shooting. We saw it with the Breonna Taylor case. It's the same exact thing. Get rid of these no-knock warrants. Folks, let's now go to Atlanta, where a huge announcement was made today. News broke last night that the uh, that the uh, mayor of Atlanta was not going to be seeking re-election. Keisha Lance Bottoms, who held a fundraiser with President Joe Biden in March, raised half a million dollars, announced that she was not seeking re-election. That was initial speculation, saying she would be taking a corporate job at Walgreens. She said that wasn't the case. She gave no specific reason as to why she is choosing now to step back. This is her news conference today. This has been my highest honor to serve as mayor of this city. And many of you all have heard me speak of my family's history in this city going back almost 100 years. My grandmother would tell me how her, her father was a child of people who were once enslaved from Crawfordville, Georgia, packed up a horse and buggy, and they made their journey to Atlanta. My family moved to the west side of Atlanta, and they found community, and they found purpose. And they found a way to make the lives of their children better. And I stand here on their shoulders. So my love for this city was a love planted in my heart long before I was formed in my mother's womb. And I wish that I could tell you there was a moment or that there was a thing. Um, but when you have faith and you pray for God's wisdom and guidance, 
in the same way that it was very clear to me almost five years ago that I should run for mayor of Atlanta. It is abundantly clear to me today that it is time to pass the baton on to someone else. Um, I'm reading a story in the Land Journal Constitution right now where a close friend said that uh, Mayor Bottoms, in her first year in office, uh, really began to have second thoughts about why she wanted the job. In fact, this is a quote, uh, quote, she just didn't have her heart in it, said one close friend. Uh, Michael, this is interesting because, uh, and it's shocking to a lot of different people, because she barely won uh, when she ran uh, by little more than 400 votes. Um, she beat uh, a white councilwoman uh, who was trying to become the first white mayor of Atlanta since uh, 1972. Also, uh, also, uh, she, like I say, had the fundraiser. Uh, according to a internal poll that was leaked, she had a 68% approval rating. But uh, there have been lots of uh, issues there, a significant spike in crime in Atlanta, some folks saying she felt detached or out of touch. Uh, and now what this has done, it has now thrown open uh, the door. Uh, many people were expected, only a couple of candidates had announced they were going to oppose her. Uh, many saw her as a shoe-in. And what you have now are folks saying, can Atlanta continue having a black mayor the state legislature they have been trying to take control of the airport that is the crown jewel of the state of georgia uh and of course one of the busiest airports in the world uh and so what do you make of this surprise announcement uh by keisha lance bottoms who many were talking about who turned down a spot in the Biden administration and now is saying i want out of politics completely uh you know brother on one hand, it's a shocker. On the on the other hand, um, is is not necessarily a shocker when you understand the trials and tribulations of being a big city mayor. Okay, um, that is a hard job, and not only that, you're dealing with a dumbass governor, Brian Kemp. See, it'd be different if you got support from the governor. She doesn't have. She really don't have support from the governor. She has a. She has a, a white supremacist, Trump supporter, who is doing the bidding of Donald Trump, signing the law SB two hundred two, the voter restriction bill. So uh, I've never served in political office, but I've been involved in writing public policy here in the city of Detroit. And I, I can tell you, man, a lot of times it's a thankless job. And then also she has small children as well. And you get to the point where you start asking yourself, okay, see, you, you always go in with enthusiasm and all these things that you want to change. And then you get in and you see you really don't know how things really work until you really sit in that seat and you get all these different elements coming at you, okay? And then you start getting to the point, you ask the question, is this really worth it? Do I want to do this for another four years? Do I want to sacrifice time for my family? Do I want to, my blood pressure to raise? And then you had those, you know, police shootings as well. You had the shootings with uh, involving the two college students. You had Rashad Brooks, things like this. And you start realizing, okay, do I want to endure this for another four years? This is not, this is, this is not what I thought it was going to be. So on, on the one hand, uh, it's a shock. On the other hand, um, you know, 
I can I can understand. You know, she, she says, look, I want to do something else. I may not know what it is, but I want to do something else. She did not rule out a future role in politics, uh, Brittany. Uh, but the reality is uh, many people, again, they see uh, these jobs as being um, highly sought after. Uh, and if, if, if it was all about her heart's not in it, uh, to me, that's one of those deals where you step down because it's it, it is about what's best for the city. Uh, just your just your take on uh, this uh, big announcement from, from Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms. Yeah, Roland, you know, it sounds like she's really just exhausted. I mean, between the investigation of her predecessor, you know, all of the racial justice protests that have taken place there, COVID, having to deal with uh, Brian Kemp, just to name a few. I mean, I can only imagine, so many of us can only imagine. And, you know, during her time in office, you mentioned this earlier, you know, we've seen a rise in violent crime in the city. I think homicides were up about 60%. So there's a lot of pressure on her and really anyone that's going to take the position after her. You know, I, I certainly don't always share all the same politics as her, especially in her response to the George Floyd protest and things like that that take place in Atlanta. But if nothing else, I do applaud her for stepping down when she's no longer interested or motivated or just exhausted. Because for her to continue to hold that position when she's not fully invested anymore would actually be a disservice to her constituents. Um, Candace, what's very interesting is that she this clearly was not something that uh, that just happened out of the blue. Uh, last night, um, she dropped uh, a uh, full-page uh, ad, if you will, a letter to the city. Uh, they also uh, produced uh, a what a, a highly produced video uh, des describing her accomplishments. So clearly, clearly, uh, this has been something that had been in the works for quite some time. Yeah, it has. It has. And I think that it's one of those things that a lot of us can recognize, especially as a black woman in America, that at her age, which is not old and it's not young, but it is a good age to look at your life and say, what exactly do I want to do with it? Do I want to be here for another four years after I need to complete this year? Then I'm running into eight years, almost a decade of my life. Who am I now? Who will I be? Who do I want to be? This is a really wonderful time for her to plant those seeds and make it happen. All of these doors are open for her and she can, you know, morph her life into anything that she wants at this time. And to have the opportunity to be able to just sit back and look is an opportunity that we all wish for. And she's in a position where she can do so. And she's doing this not just for her, but she's also doing it for the city. Because if she wants to be someplace else, if her mind is someplace else, if her heart is someplace else, then she should be someplace else than the mayor the city of Absolutely. Um, uh, so uh, we'll see what happens now. The question is, will Kasim Reed, the former mayor, will he run? He was a huge supporter of her uh, when she um, uh, sought the office, but the last few months he had been taking some shots at her, and privately you had some city leaders encouraging him to run against her. In fact, in that statement that she dropped, this is what she said, quote, she hit him with this, a far-reaching and ever-growing federal investigation into the prior administration consumed City Hall, leaving employees paralyzed and fearful 
of making the smallest mistakes, lest they too be investigated or castrated on the evening news. Ouch, Michael. <laughs> yeah, you know, brother, um, <laughs> she she is inheriting. Uh, she's coming behind Mayor Kasim Reed. You had this federal investigation. It's no telling what's going on, not implicating him or anything, man. But I live in Detroit, so we, we've been through, uh, you know, some federal <laughs> investigations before. Uh, I ain't gonna call no names, but we've been through some federal investigations before. I went to some, I went to school with some of the people that were involved in the administration that was investigated. Some, some of them after the investigation, it was hard for them to find jobs, you know. So it's like, look, um, you know, so, and the other thing is, okay, you gotta be careful when you're the one on the investigation, you kind of gotta be careful about throwing shade at other people. Uh, cause I don't know if the investigation's over with. There's no telling what they're going to find. Hopefully they won't find anything, but you know, we, you know, uh, Detroit, you know, I ain't going to call no names, but <laughs> you, you, you don't know how these investigations could go. So, but I, I can understand, uh, her point of view and it's just, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, man, a lot of times it's a thankless job. Seriously. It's a thankless job. People see, you know, you get the, you make the money, you have this position, all this stuff. Brother, dealing with Negroes can wear you out. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm just going to be honest with you, brother. It can wear you out. Brittany, uh, what do you, you know, again, having a former mayor take some shots, uh, uh, it's not good for you. And uh, she, 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 threw a, she threw a punch herself. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't blame her. I would have thrown those punches back, especially considering, you know, what, what has it been after, you know, stepping, stepping in behind him and, and, and walking into something like that. I can truly only imagine. And, you know, she has been to give her some grace. She has been under a ton of pressure. She's running a major area. Um, that can't be, that can't be easy. So, uh, again, power to her. Blessings to her. I hope that she um, finds a space that she is happy in, and I also hope Atlanta um, gets some new leadership, some new black leadership uh, that's going to take us forward. Candace, final comment on this topic. Listen, out of all the things that she could have included in her speech, she made sure to include that because she remembers the shots that the former um, mayor said about her. So she made sure that she included them. Lest we forget what he did. Let us remember what he did. Let us know about this investigation. Not only is he probably lining up, but we're going to have at least 12 others like we did the first time line up. But she wanted to make sure that the message was to him so that people would not forget that he was under investigation and still is. And that investigation is ongoing. She could have talked about a lot of people. But she made sure to talk about him. That was on purpose. All right, folks, let's talk about uh, this uh, court ruling out of Florida where a federal court has upheld the arrest of a black woman who filmed police outside of a movie theater. In the two-to-one ruling, Florida's 4th District Court of Appeal decided police had the authority to arrest Tasha Ford for filming the 2009 arrest of her teenage son. Ford says she began filming to keep police officers honest about their interaction with her son. Lawyers for the Boynton Beach officers involved said Ford invaded their privacy and ignored several commands to stop filming, justifying the charge of intercepting oral communications and obstruction without violence 
one judge argued Ford did nothing wrong and police should not be entitled to a reasonable expectation of privacy while in public um, places. You've got some Republican legislators, um, Brittany, uh, who they sort of want to support this sort of stuff because uh, of folks filming officers beating folks and others. Look, without the video of the George Floyd uh, murder, I'm not quite sure. Derek Chauvin gets convicted. So this is a serious concern. We talk about filming police officers engage in police action. Absolutely, Roland. I mean, how can you argue that privacy is being invaded when you're doing a public service job? Police should have no reasonable expectation of privacy in public places, like the judge said. You know, we've seen federal courts across the country have found that the public has a constitutional right to record cops. Even the federal appeals court, whose jurisdiction includes Florida, had ruled people have a First Amendment right subject to reasonable time, manner, etc. You can't get in the middle, but they are allowed to photograph and videotape police conduct. And not to mention, Ford should not have been charged with obstruction because it's not like she got in the way of the officers doing their job. It's not like she prevented them from making an arrest. These officers just don't want to be held accountable. And you hit the nail on the head. We know that police killings and brutality are not anything new within our community. However, video evidence is one of the few things that sometimes leads to justice. And like you said, you know, what would have happened if we didn't have uh, videotape footage of what happened with George Floyd? We know what would have happened. We need those cameras. Uh, Candace. First of all, police officers wear webcams. I'm sorry, wear the body cams, right? And, and are, are, are forced to in many situations. Secondly, whether you are in a public or a private place, you don't have an expectation of privacy. Like was just spoken, you are serving the public. So the public has a right to see what you are doing, the same way they have the right to look at police records or come to court. You, we the people, when they say that, that's, that's we. We are the people who are allowed to be a part of this process. When you go to someone's house, there are video cameras that are often on the streets. There are video cameras that are often in the house itself. When you are outside of someone's house on public property, look at Derek Chauvin. There were not just views of people who were there on the ground as, as witnesses. There were, there were cams that were all over. There were a total of 10 including the people who were right there, those bystanders. So you you never have privacy. Anytime you go down the street, there are about nine cameras that are on you. So the question of expectation of privacy is, is unmerited here. Um, and because they are servants of the public, that doesn't give them the right to say or do anything in this way because she didn't obstruct. She didn't step in the middle. She was simply recording what was going on. She's going to peel this again. She's going to peel it all the way up. She will win. Terrible precedent. They would never have this. Because, again, we already we already require officers in many jurisdictions to have the body cams. And more are coming. That's what we have been fighting for. She's going to win on appeal. She's going to peel this all the way up. Michael, about 30 seconds ago. Uh, you know, th this is a crazy case. Uh, the judges said, in, uh, in short, she obstructed their investigation and processing of her son's detention, a lawful execution of their duty. How so? She, she's filming. The, they, they said the officers gave numerous commands to stop filming. She's not interfering. OK, it, it sounds like they did not want a record of what was being done. Okay, that's what it sounds like here. So she should definitely appeal this case. She has a constitutional right to film the police. All right.
right, folks. Uh, and, of course, uh, today uh, in uh, Minneapolis, uh, federal civil rights charges filed against the four cops who killed George Floyd. Uh, huge. We, sort of course, had that uh, coming down. Uh, the three-count unsealed indictment accuses Derek Chauvin, Thomas Lane, Jay King, and Tao Thao of willfully violating uh, George Floyd's constitutional rights as he was restrained face down on the pavement and calling for his mother. Chauvin is charged with unreasonable force by a police officer. Uh, Thao and King uh, are facing charges of violating Floyd's right to be free from unreasonable seizure, and all four officers are charged with failure to provide Floyd with medical care. Chauvin, of course, is also charged with the 2017 arrest and neck restraint of a 14-year-old boy in an unrelated indictment. Uh, this can, this kid is critically important because, again, what people don't understand, there's a very high threshold that the DOJ has to file civil rights charges. Absolutely. And this shows you that the DOJ is on the right track. Look, look at what they did already with Ahmaud Arbery and the shooters in that case bringing hate crimes against them. Joe Biden said when he got into the office that he was going to make um, these crimes, these, these racial injustice crimes at the top of his list. And he is doing his job. They are very busy, very stealthily. They got together with a grand jury together to get together these indictments. And um, I think what's interesting to note that is that you have these civil rights charges, not only just this one case, but like you said, a case from years ago having to do with Derek Chauvin and a 14-year-old who was handled in the exact same manner that George Floyd was handled. One caveat here, and that is Thomas Lane. He was not indicted on all of the charges that uh, his co-conspirators on some of the other levels were charged with because when he was at the scene, he, at the very least, even though he didn't medically intervene, he did say twice this is not looking good, shouldn't we turn him over? Derek Chauvin said, no, that's not an issue. And he's going to argue, because I was training under Derek Chauvin, I've only been on the force for four days, you know, I'm not going to be held as liable or I shouldn't be held as liable. So it'll be very interesting to see exactly how this unfolds with Chauvin and his co-conspirators. Uh, this, of course, is important because there were very few, and a lot of others, other of these cases, Brittany, very few times civil rights charges were filed against cops. Absolutely. I'm, I'm really glad that they've been indicted. I think failing to do so would certainly not be justice. And, and several of those officers are, are guilty. They did nothing to stop him, Roland. Not only did they not stop him from the excessive force um, that ended up in Floyd losing his life, but once they realized he was no longer moving or breathing, they didn't even offer him medical aid. This was just a complete disregard for human life in this situation. And if nothing else, I hope that it sends a message to other officers that there is potential for them to be held accountable if their fellow officers are committing a crime or they are completely indifferent when someone, even if that someone is a potential criminal, um, is in the need of medical assistance. And, you know, when I think about holding officers accountable, um, it makes me think about how the criminal justice system is constantly changing. Hearing about this made me think about the case in Buffalo uh, with Officer Horn in 2006. She did do the right thing by stopping a fellow officer from using a chokehold, potentially saving someone's life. And she had been an officer for 19 years and was fired after that incident. And she only recently, and I mean this year, was reinstated. It was largely due to the outcome of Floyd's death and the Chauvin trial. So, you know, I hope we continue to see the right type of changes going on in the criminal justice system because folks need to be held accountable. And those quote-unquote good apples that folks are always arguing or that are in the police force, they need to continue to step up and make sure that no more lives are lost. Uh, Michael. Yeah, you know, it, it's good that the federal charges are coming in, uh, in um, 
reading uh, about this case, you know, you have uh, in the case of Chauvin uh, charged with, uh, they, they were saying uh, George Floyd should be free from unreasonable force by police. Um, we know that federal charges, federal civil rights charges is a, is a high bar to reach. But in, in a case like this, they should actually do it. And it sounded like from the charges filed, they were being uh, more creative uh, than normal in, in being able to file these charges as well. And, and you know, that's the difference between uh, the Merrick Garland uh, Department of Justice and the William Barr or the Jefferson Borgar Sessions III Department of Justice. Uh, and, and not only do you have and these I charges... Have not only do you have these charges, but you also have well, I, uh, two yeah. investigations to the patterns and practices of police departments announced in five days under Merrick Garland, and you only have one investigation in four years under uh, the Trump Department of Justice. And that's also what you get for all these people out here who are whining and complaining, saying, uh, "Why did like Roland? Why did you support Biden and Harris uh, against Trump?" This is why, idiots. This is why voting matters. For all you idiots out there, let me say it right now. For all of you, no, let me hear this real quick. For all of you dumbasses who are sitting here saying, oh my goodness, Biden Harris versus Trump. This is why. Because a Donald Trump Department of Justice would not have announced an investigation into the Minneapolis Police Department an investigation into the Louisville Police Department. They would not be pursuing civil rights charges against these four officers. And so for all you stuck-on-stupid people who want to act like somehow uh, it made no sense who we voted for, this is why you vote, you idiots. Going to a break. I'll be back. Roll them on the filter. 